you know, uh, God knows what God wants to do. And he has capacities that sometimes we don't think we have, but God gives us more uh, of his grace in that. And, you know, I think it's important knowing that today and why we announce it now, because in the series we're in, we're talking about breaking off or breaking out of or breaking free from things of our, our past or things or patterns that patterns of thought, patterns of feelings that, that maybe we don't even recognize but literally control our lives. In, in many ways, take us out sometimes outside of God's plan and out of God's will. But yet the Word of God promises us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, he also purchased our freedom. He, he broke the curse of sin over us so that we can begin to walk out the original design of how God made us to be so we would reflect his glory wherever we go. And we started last week talking about that out of this wonderful passage in John chapter 8. And, and before we read that this morning, you know, I, I was just really immersing myself in this this week because I, I love this topic. If you ask me what a, a life topic I have as a pastor, because most pastors have a life topic, this is it. Because I, I, I grew up in church. I, I, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian family. But very early on, what I learned and what I saw was we believe Christ for salvation, and we are thankful for our sins forgiven. We have eternity awaiting on us. But for so many believers, that is seemingly the end of the journey instead of the beginning. And I recognize that God has so much more for us here on this earth as we walk out this season of life that we would be his witness. And so I, I, I approached this, and I was remembering the words of one of my mentors when I was young starting out in ministry. He said, Mike, whenever you put together a sermon, when you get through and you this was the old days, when you've written it out, he said, always ask yourself, so what? So why would you take time to even teach that? What, why, why, why even bring that out? Well, let me tell you the why behind this message. And, and he would that none would perish and all come to repentance. So his goal, his desire is that we all know him, that we all walk in relationship with him. But also the second part of that is, is that God loves us enough that he wants us to walk in freedom. Because unless we're walking in freedom, we are spending so much time and effort and energy trying to, to fix ourselves, whom he already fixed on the cross, that we have no thought of being a witness or, or, a, or a light that shines in the darkness. And we basically just kind of survive this life instead of thriving in this life and showing others the way to Jesus Christ. So it's twofold. One is personal. God wants to save us, but also that he wants us to live in the, in the relationship of freedom, away from the lies and the deception of the enemy, so that now we are his witnesses, showing others the way to find the love and the grace of Christ. You know, if you think about it, from the very fall of man, back in the garden, it all began, the fall all began with a lie, didn't it? It all began with a lie. That the serpent, Lucifer, Satan, Lied to Eve, who then misinterpreted that to Adam, who also bought the lie, and sin entered into this world. And because of that, we went into this place of brokenness, the separation from God. And sadly, ever since, mankind has continued to listen to the lies of the enemy. But the Bible makes it clear that there is truth, and when we come under the truth, the truth does what? It sets us free, right? And that's what this series is all about, is that how we learn to walk in the truth that God has for us. Because can I tell you, God wants us to have a truth-based life that is filled with power, it's filled with peace, it's filled with liberty. But the enemy of our souls wants us to accept some beliefs and values that this world does a great job of promoting that are anti-God, that literally lead us into a place of bondage and ruin. You see, 
the cross did it all. We just sang it. The cross, it was done. When Jesus said it was finished, he made the way. By the shedding of his blood, we have eternal life, but we also have this abundant life. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full, this, this abundant living. And this abundant living is not just so that we are happy, but we are a representative of Christ here on this earth. And when he rose from the grave, he broke that curse of sin so that now the Lord's word would come out that none would perish, but all would know him. Look at this verse, our, our key verse in the scripture in John 8, because it really lays out the foundation of how he wants to set us free. It begins this way, it says in verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. So we're talking about believers, people who've, who've accepted who he is, they, they understand he is the Christ, so the Jews that believed him, and he said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. He says, the buy-in is not just that you're near me. The buy-in is you accept the truth that I represent. You accept the truth that I teach. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, verily, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Here's, Here's how it works out. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you think back to that time of salvation, okay, for some it may be a long time ago, for some it may be a short time, for many, at that point of salvation, a lot of things in your life changed, didn't they? It's just like overnight, some attitudes shifted, right? Overnight, some habits were let go of. Overnight, some ways of thinking changed. But yet, if you've walked very long in Christ, you realize that for many, there were things that didn't change in that moment. They kind of hung on. Maybe I mean, some wrong patterns of thought, maybe some, uh, some things that were from pain in the past that kind of held on and, and made you look at life a certain way that necessarily wasn't biblical. And, and because of that, they keep popping back up in life so much that he says, look, if you're in that, it becomes almost a slavery. He says, but when, you, when a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if we are letting those things dictate life to us that are not in God's plan for us, then we're missing out on the full benefit of being in the family. God wants us to have the full benefit. He wants us to walk in the freedom that he has for so much so, and we love this last phrase, that so if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Come on, speak to me this morning. Free indeed. Isn't that a great phrase? Not just free, but free indeed. I mean, it's just like double free, right? It's just more than you can imagine the freedom. Each one of us is a war zone. Every, every one of us is a war zone scripturally because we are body, we are soul, And we are spirit. God made us that way. We're triune beings. And there is this battle going on inside of us all the time on who reigns. Is it going to be the spirit? Or is it going to be the body with all of its passions and desires? Or is it going to be the soul with all of its emotions and will? And we've looked at that and we said there's got to be one that reigns. We have to come to this alignment. And it's clear in scripture that it it has an effect on us if we don't let it come to alignment. Galatians 5.17. It'll be on the screen. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that they are not able to do, or so that you are not able to do what you want. They, they keep you from living the life that God has for you. And so we shared last week how that even through the gift of prayer and the gift of fasting, the Lord has kind of given us a way to, to help settle that battle. And we're going to be teaching more about that in August. We're going to enter into a time of praying and fasting as a church, getting ready for the, the fall push of ministry around here. But today, what I want to do is I really want to focus in on 
well, this is what I get, I get the question a lot of people, well, pastor, then why is it I just seem to have this one area I can't, I can't get past? Why, why is it that, that God seems to do this for everybody else, but I struggle with this one thing and I just can't seem to get past that? Why is that? Well, this morning I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about how we break free in that area. I love, I love the Apostle Paul because his writings are so strong, but they're also so real. They're just, they're just transparent. And he said in Romans 7.15, this is out of New Living Translation, maybe you can relate to this, he said, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. I, that just gives me comfort. I don't know about you. You know, if the Apostle Paul has to struggle with some of those things, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not so far off, because I think that's all of our story. If we were open enough to be honest with each other, there are things that we know we should be doing and we don't, and there's things we want to do we just never seem to get to. And there seems to be this bondage, there seems to be this wall erected there. But God says he wants us to be set free from that. Now, let me just say this before we dive in a little further. Understand what I'm teaching this morning and what I started last week is really a journey, okay? It's not a, okay, I heard the sermon on freedom, thank you God, go home, I'm free. No, there are things that have to change. There are things that we need to understand better. There's things we have to embrace. And really what I'm inviting you on is just to, to come along in this journey with me and let's start pursuing the freedom God wants in our lives. And the reason why is simply this, and, and I'm going to just kind of lay it out very clearly this morning to you. My, my concern is if we don't pursue it, okay, if we, just, if we just don't, if we just ignore it and say, you know what, it's just the way life is, here's what happens, those areas of bondage in our lives, and it, and it could be fear, I mean, it could be a bondage of, of lust, it could, be a, it could be a bondage of just bad self-awareness, self-esteem, uh, it could be a, an anger issue that's just turned to bitterness. I mean, there's so many things we could go on and on, but if we, if we don't deal with it, guess what happens? It starts to become our identity. It really becomes who we are. You've all met an angry person. You've all met someone that's bitter. And we just adopt it, and after a while, it becomes part of our identity. But here's the hope. That's really not who you are. That, that's how maybe the world has shaped you to be, and that's the way the enemy wants to see yourself. But that's not who you are. But if you buy into the deception of that, here's where it leads. It leads to a place where you become helpless and hopeless. You'd be like sitting here right now like, Mike, why are we even talking about this? Nothing ever changes. I, I've been this way, you know, my family's that way, my grandpa was this way. It's just the way it is. We are always going to be this way. And we get into this hopelessness, and we get into this helplessness. But it progresses even further from that. And you see this in so many lives. Because what happens when you get helpless and hopeless, the next stage is you get defensive. I mean, your spouse says, hey, honey, you know, someday... That anger problem is going to get you in trouble. And he's like, oh, well, oh, hey, what anger problem? Didn't you hear Pastor Mike? Hey, get the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in my eye. You need to get all scriptural, right, you know? And they get all defensive. And, and before you know it, they get all huffy about, don't tell me I need to change. Come on. Nobody's perfect. Have you ever said that? And we're not. And we're not talking about perfection. What we're talking about is God changing us from the inside out. Because the Word of God says, myself, and then all of a sudden, we start losing out on the very life God has for us. So to me, as your pastor, this is very serious. This, to me, is a very vital time of teaching because I, I just, I've seen it over the years. And the longer you stay in that identity, the more comfortable you get with the dysfunction that comes with that. 
but God wants to set us free that we may be free indeed. Let me, let me put it in a little more modern context, maybe how we hear that scripture. We need, a, we need a little different way of thinking about life, okay? For many, we need to change the way we think about life. We need some new programming going on, some new ideas, because how we're thinking about life so often currently, it's not working for a lot of people. And we are beginning to look just like the rest of the world that has no faith in Christ, because we have no hope that his power is enough and his grace is enough. You see, that's why, to me, the beauty of the church, the beauty of worshiping together, is we come, we hear some new thoughts. We're, we're, we're surrounded by people who have changed. We're encouraged by their journey. We're encouraged by their faith. And we're put in a place where we say, God, the power of God is accessible so that you can, God, work in my life. So we come to this journey. And we got to begin in a place that's a little controversial. All right? Little, little controversial. It just is. In fact, have you ever heard of George Barna? Anybody ever heard that name? George Barna is kind of like... Uh, the statistician researcher in Christianity, okay? So any poll you see out there that has to do with Christianity, it's usually a Barna poll. And according to Barna, 60% of people that are sitting in churches across the U.S. today are not going to agree with my next statement, okay? 60% are not going to agree with what, I, what I'm about to tell you. Now, look, it's not controversial to me. It, it's just very misunderstood. And it's simply this. There really is a devil, and there really are demons, didn't know that, did you? Now, some of you are like, oh, finally, we're going to talk about some good stuff. And others are like, can we just talk about living peaceful lives with others and just move on? Because we get kind of weirded out about this whole thought. But let me ask you a question. This is going to be a real tricky example right now. How many of you believe in angels? Well, if you believe in angels, guess what you got to believe in? Demons. They're both created beings. I mean, people that don't even know God speak about angels all the time. I mean, you go to a funeral, you hear all kind of bad theology about people. Oh, well, God needed another little angel in heaven. That's why he took my whatever. No, 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 no. We are never going to be angels. It's not what God has called us to be, but there are angels. They are serving God. But on the contrary, they're also demons. But 60% of all Christians believe the devil is just a symbol. And it's not real at all. And I have to be honest with you. If I were the devil, that's what I'd want you to think as well. Because if I don't really know that I have an enemy, if I don't believe he exists, then I have no thought about guarding my life or, or resisting or standing up against him. I mean, think about it for a second. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Has anyone ever had something stolen from you? We had our car broken into one time. We lived down in South Charlotte, nice, safe neighborhood, and one day walk out and his stuff's just gone. And, and what made me mad was it wasn't that the stuff was that valuable, what made me mad was, is how in the world did I not know they were out there breaking my car? And how did my dog not know that? And I was really ticked off with the dog. That's why I had the dog, right? But you see, the, the thief did not knock on my door and say, hey, guess what? I'm a thief. I'm here to break into your car tonight. Good luck with that. No. The deception is you don't know that they're there. And the key is this. If I, if I can't believe <laughs> that, that, that there is an enemy, then I won't even prepare for him. Listen, before I had my car broken, I didn't think about locking it. I, I didn't think about stuffing. I grew up in a small town where people trusted each other, right? But, but now I'm like, oh, now lock the door. Church is pickly, you know, just make sure, even though there's nothing in it. Because, again, once you've experienced that, you know it's real. And that's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 9, he said, be self-controlled and alert. Wake up. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Now, listen, we can get really 
out of balance when we start talking about things of, of the demons and, and the devil, okay? I think it was C.S. Lewis that put it this way. He says, Satan hails the skeptic and the superstitious alike. And I, I found over the years in church, there's always almost two camps in this, right? There, there, there's the camp that sees a demon in everything. Oh, I was going to work today and I ran out of gas. Did you see what the devil did to me? There was a demon on my gas tank. No, you just didn't fill up your car with gas. Well, just because you don't believe it doesn't make it true, right? There are a lot of things in life like that. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it true. So we need to be balanced in that because the thing we need to understand in this teaching is they are real. And the second thing is we can come under their influence, Say, boy, I came to be encouraged, Mike. We will be. Just, just let me get you there. We can come under their influence. Look, Hollywood has, has, has done more in this area than the church ever has. Because it takes it to this extreme that people buy in and like, oh, my goodness, he is so powerful, and look how he possesses people, and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, we're all scared of what our enemy brings. But here's the understanding. Look, believers, hear this, have not cannot, will not ever be possessed or owned by the devil. You cannot be because you've been bought with a price already by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that is greater than anything the thief ever has in his arsenal. So the word possessed, we need to get out of our, out of our understanding and focus more on influence. And the reason is simply this. When the thief broke into my car, he didn't own my car, but he certainly influenced how I operate that car from then on. It's no difference if you drink too much alcohol. The alcohol doesn't own you, but I can guarantee you, you are under its influence. Would you agree? It's no different. You see, the devil can't own you. When you confess Christ is your Savior, the Word of God says we are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. There's no greater power on this earth. God has you. You're His. You walk with Him. But we have to keep ourselves free because here's what happens. Though Satan has lost you, he has never given up trying to influence you. Though he has lost you, he has never given up trying to influence you. You say, why is that? Because he's defeated. Now, I, I, I like to play God every once in a while. Anybody else play God? You know, if I were God? Yeah, that's a scary thing. I don't like playing if I were the devil. But if I were the devil and I put myself in his shoes, I get it. I totally do. I'm already, I'm already lost. I'm done. I see my future. It's over. I, I lost big time. But in the meantime, because of God's great love and he's long-suffering and he's slow to anger, he's given us lots of time to reach people in the world. In the meantime, I'm going to do everything in my power to mess up his creation. Uh, he's already beat me, but I'm going to do everything in my power to break up his creation. So what do I do? I try to influence. I try to, 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 to disrupt. I try to deceive the church to the point that it has no impact in the world because all it's doing is looking at its own belly button trying to solve its own problems. When God says, I've already given you the power to overcome. See, here's what happened, all right? Satan rebelled against God. You, you, may, you may be familiar with the story, all right? He rebelled against God, and, and God defeated him. And because of that, he can't take you from God. He can't do that, but he can certainly nullify your witness and your purpose on this earth through his bondage, his deceit, and his lies. Here's an example, Ephesians 4. This is one I think a lot of people can relate to. Ephesians 4, verses 26 to 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, now, let's just have this transparent counseling session this morning. How many have been angry lately? I'll do there. Because you know where anger comes from? It came, comes out of frustration, right? Yeah. 
We, we get there. We get frustrated. Things don't work the way we want them to work or whatever. But here's what happened. Anger feeds the self-conscious soul and feeds this desire to reign. Now my emotions are up. Now I, I feel justified. And the Bible says in your anger, don't sin. So much so, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a what? Foothold. Listen, uncontrolled anger destroys. Uncontrolled anger destroys relationships and witness. The very first murder in the Bible was come over anger. Cain killed Abel because unfulfilled expectation. So what he's saying to us is, look, though, though the devil's real, and though we have influence over us, we need to be watchful that we don't give an open door to him, that we don't give a foothold to him by disobeying God's word or just being ignorant of God's truth by not even trying to pursue it. What we're doing is we're saying, look, you can't own me, but I give you the keys, we got to stop doing that, because here's the good news. Though there are demons, though the devil's real, though they have influence over you, they have to flee in Jesus' name, amen? They, they have to flee in Jesus' name. I, I love the story in the New Testament. Jesus was, was building up the disciples. They came back to report to Jesus what they'd experienced in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, not, hey, good job, this bump, way to go. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's all he said. I mean, they're all ready for attaboy, way to go. And what he was saying to them is this, look, I was there. I was there when Satan rose up against God the Father. And I want you to understand something about that, that instance. Because here, here's, here's the understanding we fight with sometimes. Some people try to take Satan and God and put them right here together. Like, oh, these two all-powerful beings and, you know, they're all constantly battling in heaven. And no. He said Satan rose up against God because Satan was the worship leader at the time. And he decided he wanted to be the object of worship. He wanted to be God. And when he rose up against him, there was a battle. But in that battle, it was over like that. Because he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like a lightning bolt. You can read about it in Ezekiel. You can read about it in Isaiah. And what he wanted his disciples to understand is, God had already given them the devil. He'd already defeated the devil. He'd already given them authority over them to rebuke him and have victory in his name. In other words, them reporting, hey, the demons tremble. The demons flee in the name of Jesus. He's like, no big deal. Because they're defeated. And yet, part of the lie of the enemy is, is we've made him bigger than he is. We've got to recognize the battle between him and God was not this battle of superpowers. How long, did the, how long did the battle last? Lightning bolt. Done. You rise up, boom, gone, done. We've got to get that in our minds and our hearts because I find believers are like, oh, we're so afraid of what he can do. To no. We serve God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head. He loves us so much. And he's given us authority in the name of Jesus to do certain things. And one of those things is to stand in victory over the forces of our enemy. He said, I've given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions. Now, we're not going out looking for scorpions. Those are, those are uh, inferences towards demons. He says, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What he was saying is, look, guys, here's what you need to see. You're on the right team. You're part of the right family. 
And not only are you finding freedom, but I'm going to show you how to help other people find freedom as well. Because Satan, though he can influence, he is defeated, and we must stand against him. That's why one of my favorite life verses has always been Romans 8. Just the whole chapter of Romans 8, but particularly 37 and 39, says, No, in all these things we are more than what? We are, we are more than conquerors. We're not, we're not people that get lucky every once in a while and score a victory, okay? He says, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced <laughs> that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves you. Doesn't he love you? I mean, look at that. Though there's this reality, this battle going on, he says, look, we're on the winning side. We just got to learn to live in the truth of that. Because he tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We sang about that this morning. Now, now, now here's, here's the check, all right? I think the church has gotten really good with the kumbaya relationship with God. I really do. I think we've gotten really good about, oh, God, we just want to lean against your chest, and we want to sing about your beauty, and we want to hang out with you because, man, that's really good. And I like that. I, I am all for that, right? That's just fun times. But can I tell you that part of this Christian walk is also a battle. It's also spiritual warfare, it's also standing up on the truth of God's word, claiming what is right and real, so that when we resist our enemy, the word says, he must flee. And to do that, we have to recognize where there are strongholds, and we have to break them. We have to let, through the power of God, break strongholds in our lives. And the key to understanding this is understanding that word stronghold, okay? When you think of a stronghold, it's that which has a hold, has a hold of you and has a strong influence in your life. Like I said, for many, that may be a past experience. It may be a wrong pattern of thinking because of your family structure you grew up in. Give an example. I have friends whose parents, his dad was alcoholic, you know, and, and because of that, this, this one, be, he became an enabler. <laughs> he was the one when he got home, he's like, don't cause any problems, don't let dad see me, don't do anything because we just want peace. Well, guess what he does the rest of his life with conflict? He's an enabler. He just, he's, he's been, that's just branded into him. That's a stronghold. God wants to break that. God wants to set them free in that. You see, here's how it works. We're saved. We love God, but, but we bought into some bad lies or habits that now are starting to become an identity in us, and God wants to break us free from them. And, and to understand that, it's not, it's not that we're held by this strong enemy, okay? If you, if you get down into the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, and I, I suffered through three semesters of Greek, and I, I know a little Greek, and I still look up a lot of Greek, okay? Because it's Greek to me. But if you look at it, it says that a stronghold, what it really means is, it means someone who's locked up by deception. Not by a strong man, but by deception. Living by something that's not true. You see, the only weapon the enemy has against your life is the lie. It's deceit. The Bible says he's a liar. Every time he opens his mouth, he's a liar, okay? So everything he does is to sow this deception into us. He's the father of all lies. And the more we believe it, that forms strongholds in our lives. Well, I'm, I'm never going to be successful. My marriage is not going to last. I... I, I Pastor, I am just made this way. I, it's just who I am. 
Can't control the anger, came from an Irish heritage. There you go. And we buy all these lies that just say, well, this is the way it's going to be. And God says, no. <laughs> it's not the way it's supposed to be because in the beginning, I gave freedom. And through the blood of Jesus, I've created freedom. Because here's what Satan does. He attacks three areas with his lies. He attacks our identity. I mean, doesn't he? He always attacks our identity. We either think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves, Right? We're constantly battling that, and we're, we, we take classes on self-esteem and all this, when we need to come back to what I call Christ-esteem, look how God made you, look what he's done for you, and recognize you're his beloved, you are cherished in his eyes. But Satan attacks that all the time, well, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, then we add all these, these caveats, right? If he loved me, my marriage would be better. If he loved me, my, my loved one wouldn't be sick. If he loved me, I wouldn't go through this financial struggle. We, we get our identity. We, we buy those lies. It becomes our identity. The second thing he attacks is our purpose. <laughs> I, I met many miserable people striving to be something different than what God created them to be. And I tell you, you need to figure out what God made you to be, amen? Because when you strive to be something that you are not, guess what it creates? It creates this misery in our lives. We need to know our purpose. But then he also attacks God's goodness. That's what we did with Adam and Eve. If God really loved you, he'd let you eat of everything. If he really loved you, he'd give you the same knowledge he has. And that same attack still goes on today, but we have promise. And that promise is out of Scripture, out of 2 Corinthians 10, when he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God through the Word. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, we need some reprogramming. Some of you this morning have corrupted files going on up here. Your, your, your parents or others, there's things that have been said and spoken over you that that drives your life. And we need to come back to where we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who brings us back to God's word and shows us God's love for us. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, if we want to know the will of God, he says then these minds need to be renewed by the washing of God's word. There needs to be truth in us. There needs to be truth and understanding because that's what sets us free. We need to stand. We need to put off our old self that's been corrupted and, and have this new attitude in our minds that comes from knowing God's promises over our lives. Listen, gang, we defeat Satan every time we bring truth against the lie. We, we defeat him every time we bring truth against the lie. Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, Satan brought up some very good points to him, things that were very logical, and we'd say, mm, sounds good. And every time Jesus said, but, the word of God says this. And every time the word is what defeated the enemy. And in the same way, church, that's how we defeat the enemy today. So here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with three, kind of build that foundation of pursuing the truth in your life. Now, again, I'm telling you, Sundays are not enough, all right? This is not like you go home today and like, woohoo, yeah, great teaching, Pastor Mike. We have no problems anymore the rest of our lives. No, we got to learn to walk in victory as well. So much so that this fall, when we reintroduce community groups coming this fall, we're going to be starting one group that's just specifically going to be called a freedom group. It's just about applying these principles in areas of life, walking them out so that we will then be set free from God. So I encourage you, some of you need to be part of that group, all right? But here's what I ask you. Give me some time. Give me the next year of your life. Let me be the tour guide, and let me help you walk through this place of finding freedom. And it really starts with the basics. Commit to something. You know, commit to relationships with each other. Commit to community groups. Commit to church. Because we need each other in this process of freedom. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. We'll dunk you in a heartbeat. I mean, come on. It's just like we've got the baptismal tank. We'll fill it up this afternoon if that's what it takes. But follow through on the truth of God's word. 
Because when we do that, we start coming in the strength of saying, all right, we're going to work together, and we're going to see God bring freedom in all of us. We make that plan, and we commit to it. Three truths, all right? Three truths. Write these down. If you're going to get free, you need to understand these above all else. Number one, God loves you, and he's for you, period. God loves you, and he is for you. Some of you are raised in what I call mean churches. I was raised in a mean church until I was about 15. I went to church every weekend. I walked away convinced God does not like me. He is ticked off at me, and I'm going to hell. I was the pastor's best friend because every sermon, man, he preached on hell, and there was an altar call. Guess who was the first one down here? I didn't need Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell because I was in a mean church, right? And some of us, that's our experience. And we kind of break out of that because sometimes we need to hear more of the fact that God loves us and he is for us, not against us. John 3, 16. Most of you know it whether you've been in church or not because the world just even embraces this. But I'm going to read it to you just out of a different version. I want you to look at scripture. I just want you to listen. Close your eyes for a second. Listen to this. It says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son. Now, can I tell you that nobody loves you that much? I love you a lot. In fact, if love was kind of shown by how much someone thinks about you or prays for you, I probably love you about as much as your mama, okay? But I don't love you enough to give you Britt or Wes or Chloe. No. But God loved us so much, he gave his son, his only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. But by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. Some of us need that help this morning. Some of us just need to embrace the fact God loves us. He doesn't love a future version of you. Hear that clearly. Because it's very easy in a teaching like this to say, oh, well, if I get free, then he loves me. No, he doesn't love a future version of you. The Bible said he loved you before he even loved him. While you're an enemy of the cross, while we are deep in our sin, Christ died for us. So we have to get that deep embedded in us. God loves us. The second is this. I can be free. I can be free. I, I, I choose to believe again. I don't have to be a fill in the blank. I don't have to be that. I can be free from whatever because the power of God is greater than what I face. Romans 8, 1 and 2. I'm going to read this again out of the message because sometimes we just need to hear it a little different way. It says, you no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. For there's a new power in operation, the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I can be free. I, I don't have to write off parts of my life and just say, well, that's the way it is. I can trust God. And finally, this morning, this beautiful verse out of the Psalms, I can be restored. I can be made new again from the depths of the earth and you will again bring me up. When Denise and I started in ministry, we had the privilege of uh, being youth pastors. Back then, that was the only way you got into ministry. 
And I learned so much in those years. But there was one young lady that taught me so much because she was the one I didn't know what to do with. She came to us one day and her identity was totally wrapped up in what had happened to her in her life. Her parents just kind of weren't there. So she ran to a young man. After all that, that would fulfill my life. Taken advantage of. Comes to us and says, I've lost everything. I will always be this way. If you could take the spirit of death and put it in a tangible box, that was all over her. Because what was the enemy doing? He was just driving her down. To the point, to the point, she tried to take her life. I never will forget God awakening us for whatever reason to go over to where she lived the very night that she tried that. And we showed up. And I remember just sitting there with her. And all I could do is speak truth. You know God loves you. You know this is not who you are. You know God can change you. And we began a journey together. It didn't happen. We began a journey. And I watched over the next couple of years that we had the privilege of serving with her. God restoring. God healing. And I remember one time she asked, she goes, well, I will never be what God wanted me to be because I've given everything up. I said, oh, no, no. Our God's a restorer. God makes all things new. And I remember just the, the glow that came on her face one night when all of a sudden that truth became reality. God filled her marvelously with the power of the Holy Spirit. God began to move in her life. She now has served in ministry for over 20 years, her and her husband. It just all had to come back to truth. You say, well, my story is different. No, it's not. It's just not. Your story is what your story is. But God is who He is. And He wants to begin right where you are this morning.